And so today we thought it'd be cool to kind of go into some things around the prophetic, marketplace, seeing saints activated or faithful. What, is, what does it look like to be faithful? Does anyone remember? Multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Very good. So, um, but we're going to invite some guys up. We'll see where the conversation goes. Again, this is my number. If you've got any questions, feel free to spam it. Um, I'll be steering the conversation, again, the, around prophetic marketplace um, and things like that. We'll see where we head. Is that cool with everybody? We're good. All right. Let's uh, welcome our, our uh, friends up to the stage. We have... Mr. Tyrone Daniel, actually. <laughs> so we've got Ty coming up. We've also got Dave Balestri from this morning. We've got Dave Hagar. We thought we'd go Dave Squared this morning. We've also got Sam Hagar. And we've got Nicole Collinson as well. So come on up, everybody. I'm going to take the first seat. Come on up. Uh, there should be a mic on your seat. I think they're all on. Yeah, anywhere should be good. Yes, very good. Come grab a seat, guys. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be cool to, we'll chat around. Yeah, yeah, otherwise good. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's get my phone out. Again, if I am on my um, phone, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm trying to <laughs> see your questions and stuff like that. So sorry to you and sorry to you. Um, but first question comes from Paul Collinson, and it's to Nicole Collinson. <laughs> And he's asking if you're busy later. <laughs> oh. Very good. <laughs> Multiply. <laughs> the breakout session. Oh, my goodness. Very cool. Well, how about, like, if there's anything... I mean, we've heard a bit of it, um, but maybe before we jump in, because I think there's something... Um, cool about just making a bit of space for the prophetic as well um, in this sesh. But is there anything like, I mean, you don't all have to share, but is there anything that you'd like to just release um, prophetically about what you can see or what you're sensing of the future for the church, um, what we're maturing into, things like that, that you can call out, um, maybe pertaining to marketplace and seeing church um, outside? Yeah. My own, yeah. Um, great, thanks. I, I, I heard a comment uh, earlier on saying that the, the sixth-fold gift was barista, you know. Um, but I think, I think one of the things that I, I really see is this um, entrepreneurial spirit. And I know I'm biased about it, but when you see when Jesus is about, you know, when he comes and he's about to radicalise and inaugurate the kingdom... He, um, you know, when you think about the people that he picked, he didn't go to the, you know, he didn't go to the, the temple and pick the priests, but the, the boys, um, not that they all have to be boys, because I think most of the time girls are better entrepreneurs than boys anyway. Um, hang on, uh, hang like, on, like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, like actually you, you are, it's just that, um, it's just that the, the, the challenge with women entrepreneurs is that they, um, they hold back uh, too much. And so where a guy will usually jump in and, you know, have a go, uh, women are a lot harder on themselves. Uh, but you actually are much better entrepreneurs in general. That's just, that's straight across the board. Um, but I, this thought about um, 
entrepreneurship. And, and what happens is, especially when it's kingdom advance, the, the religion teaches you to wait for permission. Um, and so, but who are you waiting for permission from? Once you've, once you've got the word of the Lord or, a, you know, moving forward, that, that spirit of entrepreneurship needs to come forward. So I, I see, um, I see, you know, in our churches, I, I, that's where I think this marketplace message comes alive. I, I see the, a, a great tsunami of entrepreneurs being released and many of them are mumpreneurs. I, I need to say that again. Many of you are mumpreneurs, if you're a woman, by the way. Um, you know, uh, yeah, just clear, clarifying that up. It's not that sort of a uh, uh, theological discussion. Um, you know, like just, just many of you are sitting on ideas um, that are not only worth multi-millions of dollars for the kingdom, but mega influence, and, like real influence. I'm not talking about just TikTok. Um, and, and, uh, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. So, and... Uh, and mega impact, you know, I just, I, I really sense that. And, uh, you know, thank God that, that as I speak to you as, pa as pastors, we're waking up to that space in you and um, hopefully making room. That's awesome. That's good. Yeah. yeah, I just feel um, for the future, there's a, I feel like Australia is an innovation hub and I feel like Christians need to be on the forefront of innovation and invention. I mean, because Daniel came with solutions for society. Um, and uh, I feel God's giving us prototypes and blueprints for questions that haven't even been asked yet. Um, and I feel like um, uh, that's part of the gospel of the kingdom. We vocalize the gospel, but we also show people what God's like. And they go, wow, that's brilliant. That's a Christian. It's kind of like, like what Daniel did. He interpreted these dreams. And he came with this brilliance. Um, and as David's been saying, he had 10 times the favor um, and he stood out from the, by the favor in the marketplace. And I, I just feel that uh, God is looking to raise up Christian innovators and inventors. I mean, I was preaching in New Zealand and a guy had a, a vision of an, of an innovation while I was preaching, like a product he was going to take to market and patent while I'm preaching. So I wouldn't mind hearing how that went. Um, but get, yeah, the, get, get the royalties, brother. Get, get, the, get royalties. the royalties. But um, and also a guy, a guy came to our church, and I'd never met him before. But I prophesied, often prophesy over people the first time they visit us here. Right? Um, but I just looked at him and said, I feel like God's got solutions for you in the blockchain. And he yelled out, "That's my dream." He said, "I've, I've gone to uni and studied blockchain," and he was involved with some of the biggest sporting clubs in Australia um, to bring blockchain solutions, which he's working on right now. And he, the second thing he said to me, because Dave was talking about the languages of the day, he said to me, I've never heard this language in a church. Like, I've never been in a meeting where I've heard blockchain this. And so it's, it's connecting with the languages of the day, which could be blockchain, could be metaverse. And Christians should be on the forefront. So it's part of discipling the nations. Uh, we take every sphere and we bring the kingdom um, to every nation, every sphere. We just, it's the whole earth mentality. Um, one question that came through is, you know, we see in scripture that Elisha was bald and so many prophets, I mean, Cliff Cherry's bald, we've got a couple of bald, is there, is there something going on with the prophets? Is there a reason why so many prophets are bald? 
Uh, I, I do have another question. The question, question that I have. <laughs> oh. My wife compliments me. <laughs> See, together we got a lot of hair. <laughs> True. Good word, good word. We're one. Hey, so on this idea of being front-footed, you know, and uh, forward-looking, I mean, to be a prophetic people is we should be looking forward. Uh, but if we're looking forward, how do we, and we're on the front foot, we're pioneering, we're, we're kind of pushing boundaries in areas. Um, how can we be forward-looking but remain grounded in the Word to a point where we're pushing but we don't go off the edge into something that we're not supposed to be in? Anyone. <laughs> so... I'm not a prophet. You can see I have hair. Um, I, I think, I mean, I love what was shared this morning. We had two similar messages, but presented very differently. And I think that's the strength of what we're a part of. It's not a one-off or one-size-fits-all. And I think, I think, if we can come back to mission, and if we can understand lordship, like we heard about, and everything's under the lordship, but it's all done for the purposes, not for each other to become rich or to, can I suggest, even have resources. Those things matter. But if it's for the mission and the kingdom and the advancement of the kingdom, then I don't think we can lose our way. I think one of the big shifts we've had to make in this season was mission needs to be the focus and not the methods. I think methodology can actually stop the mission. And I think the church is so busy trying to get methods right and everyone do what everyone else is doing. But I think if we're going to be kingdom-minded people, then the mission is what matters. And we, there is freedom, I believe, biblically for us to try things, find new ways, find fresh strategies, as long as it's for the rule and reign of, of our king. And uh, I think even the way we gather and what we do in our gatherings, as long as it's fulfilling the mission, this freedom. It's, the Bible often is descriptive rather than prescriptive. And it doesn't mean that we get to do our own thing and hope God's in it. There's some very clear things that are biblical. There are some very clear things that are unbiblical. And then we know that word we've coined, abiblical, whether it's there or not, this freedom. And and I think we've been really good at making abiblical things, saying that's what the Bible says, when it doesn't. And so I think the way we gather, the way we go about things, I think the, the strategies to reach generations, to reach this next gener uh, generation, young people, all these things we've been called to do require us to find new ways. But the ways need to serve the mission God's given us and if it's, again, about advancing the kingdom, it's going to be about Jesus Christ getting the glory for it all. And so, I, I, again, if the Bible cuts, if, if what we're doing cuts across Scripture, don't do it. If we're setting ourselves up at the, you know, to, to look good, then don't do it. But I, I just feel like we've been so tame because this is how you do it, because the Bible says do it like that, when the Bible doesn't really say do it like that. We've just embraced what everyone said the Bible said. And so I'm not saying let's go be wild. I'm saying there's fresh strategy. There's new ways. There has to be 
What worked in the 80s, just so you know, doesn't work now. And I love the 80s, and I love the music of the 80s, and I love how they dressed in the 80s. I'm still there, as you can tell. But the ways of the 80s are not the ways of today. And God's okay with that. Because we're not changing the will of God. We're finding fresh ways to fulfill the will of God. And I think if we're asking those things, even the way we do church, meetings and you know, I'm just, this, you don't have to have a three fast songs, a slow song, a preacher who's going to give the latest, greatest revelation, take up an offering, and then see you later next week. Just show me any of that in Scripture. It doesn't exist. And so it's a way that we've made the way when it's not fulfilling what we were intended to do. And I think it comes the same when it comes to mission. And so the thing, just if I just say, Jesus gave a Chris priest this morning, uh, obviously, and Dave did too, but just the Great Commission. I mean, Jesus' last words to his people, to his disciples, should be the focus of every single follow, Jesus follower's life. Amen. And with Jesus said, all authority in heaven has been given to me, now go and make disciples. So ultimately, we've all been given the same commission. Followers of Jesus are to make followers of Jesus. So I believe that means that in everything we do, whether it be gatherings, meetings, equips, business meetings, followers of Jesus making followers of Jesus. And there has to be freedom in that to find new ways to go about getting that done. So I think we'll be biblical if we stick to Jesus' last command. Our first work is making disciples and getting the bride ready for the return of Jesus Christ and getting the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. So I think if we stick into that, we're pretty much going to be okay, not steering away from, from what God's called us. I hear it. That's so good. I hear a lot of people ask me, oh, Dave, oh, you know, when I speak about the marketplace, and they go, oh, I just, I've just got to figure out what business I should start. You know, like now they're all animated, and they're like, yeah. I've just got to figure out what business or what side hustle or, or what career I'm going to take, because they're like, you know, and... I, I think that's an important question, but it's not the first one. The first one can't be what business am I supposed to start. The first one needs to be, God, what is, what is the assignment that you've placed in my life? Right? And, and it's a really important one because Jesus said, Jesus said, um, seek first the kingdom, right? To seek first the kingdom, you have to do a couple of things. The first thing you have to seek first is the king. Of the kingdom, right? So, if if God's not going to be first and foremost, forget forget what business am I going to do? Um, because all you'll do is have to do business and compete with the Babylonians like a Babylonian. And and who wants to do that? You know, when you've got a marketplace advantage. But if Christ is central, right? Colossians. I was just looking at Colossians, and it says um, Colossians one, and it says. Um, understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden, this is in Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? So it's not about like what career should I pursue, what business should I do? That's a secondary question. The first question is, am I anchored deep in my intimacy with Christ? Is kingdom first, is the king and his kingdom first. After that, after that, the adventure of finding 
the enterprise, if you're called to business, or the career, if you're called to that. After that, that, that then this thought about how do we make sure we don't get off kilter? Because I find, a, I tell you what, I find a lot of Christians, you know, I mean, talking about the 80s, you know, late 80s, early 90s, in Australia, in Sydney, lots of Christians got really excited about this thing called Amway, right? And everyone, everyone loved that. They thought, oh man, yeah, Jesus told me I'm going to be a diamond, you know. And they were a smelly oyster, actually, most of them. They just mucked up the churches. But, but the problem was that everyone ran for the, oh, how am I going to be a millionaire for Jesus? But the millionaire was first and Jesus was second. And, and, and I think that that's a peril that remains available even in this marketplace message. If, if, if all of a sudden you become more excited about the side hustle than you do about Christ, you're off kilter. And at that point, you're going to hurt yourself or you're going to hurt others and you're going to get lost in that. Um, yeah, I'm a huge dreamer. I love to dream about uh, what God has, what what he wants to put in place in cities, uh, just how he wants the city to look and what kind of infrastructure and things that he wants to have in that city. And, um, like, they're huge dreams and you can never dream too big in God. But also I think a great way to stay grounded is being rooted and established in a local church with great leadership and being submitted to leadership and having just quality believers around you that you meet with every week and who know you personally and who can speak into your life if you get a bit weird or off track or um, who knows, you know, people that can really see who you are and can speak into that. Such a good point. Can I just share a quick testimony? Dave Hodgson, some of you will know this name, Dave Hodgson is a Christian billionaire up in Mooloolaba uh, this is online, so I'm not sharing any secrets here. He runs 31 companies called the Paladin Group, $2.2 billion, right? He is, um, he and his wife are members of their local church who, he's, so David is uh, 58, 59, hard to tell because he's South African and an ex-mercenary, so, you know, just <laughs> guy looks like freaky. Um, he's 59, $2.2 billion. He is proudly a member of his local church run by a 35-year-old pastor and his wife who he is in full submission to. The church is about 150 members, right? And he's full submission to. And he says, I have no problem doing that because I understand my, my need to, to, to have that covering over my business and over my life. Like, I just think that's, power, that's a powerful, powerful testimony there, you know? Uh, I'm not at 2.2 billion yet, close. Uh, but, you know, I love that. I, I love that from a, you know, safety perspective. Can, can I comment on that? Just, it's cool to hear these testimonies, but how many of you know that 35-year-old has to be secure in his calling and he's got to recognize the gift on that person's life? And honestly, I mean, I, I, just to speak straight up, I think we want all these kingdom people to submit to our leadership and come under us, but it's a God thing, number one, and secondly, do you make it easy for them? Because most pastors, leaders want everything to be functioning in their church rather than through their church or from their church. 
And so, you know, I just listen to the marketplace guys and the kingdom guys and the business guys. And, and, and to be honest, they, they've been told your job is to support my ministry and bring your money to me so I can live out my vision, your job. And that's where kingdom ministry changes everything. It's no longer serving each other. We're serving the king. Everybody's equal. doesn't matter how much money you have or not have, but everyone has a different role. And it can't function well if we don't let them and embrace them and empower them to go and be who God's called them to be, rather than always coming to us for permission to do something they can do way better than us, because we're not gifted in those areas. And so I think it's, it's this honor, kingdom honor, not, don't honor people because they have money. That's the worst thing you can do. I mean, they don't want to be honored. And if they do, they sh they're not believers. They're not saved, in my opinion. But that's, I'm not God, so I don't have to judge that. But I know, pa I know pastors who, who over-honor their rich people because they want money from them. I'm telling you, friend, you lose credibility when you honor anyone because of what they have. You... Gain honor with God when you honor everyone equally, but in honoring them equally is giving them room to flourish where God's put them and to embrace it and endorse it and empower it and send it and pray for and stand with rather than, hey, you didn't tithe this week, where's the money? You heard what I'm saying? And, and so I, I think just listening to the, the preaching this morning and I think this, the stuff that Dave's burning with the whole marketplace, it's exciting but the question is, can God, will God, is He able to send those people into our, in our churches, not so we can get funded by them, but we can empower them to go and be, commission them into what God's doing and not make them feel bad if they can't make Sunday meetings. Um, again, I'm just, last thing I'm going to say, you know, I was leading a great I thought a great church in in Adelaide before, and uh, I, 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 I'll confess my sins to you. This well, I know we're going live here, but I was teaching on leadership in that church, and I was teaching on the role of a deacon, which is biblical. It's not as deacons, elders, and saints and sinners. That's all we see in scripture. And you hope the elders and deacons are not the sinners. We hope they're the saints. And they're in partnership with the translocal team. That's all you see in Scripture. And so I was teaching on what it means to be a deacon from Scripture and our expectations as elders if you're going to serve in this church as a deacon. Nothing wrong with that. Good stuff. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> from Scripture and then some of my requirements because we got house rules, they say, or whatever. And <laughs> I remember saying that you've got to be at this because we had four Sunday meetings. You've got to be at, at least one morning and one evening and all these things, and again, not, not, I mean, I think Dave preached on don't raise, uh, not, what, what is it? Idol. Idol, yeah. So like, don't make apologies for expectation. You can't call people to commitment or to win the world for Jesus if you're not committed. Yeah. So don't make apologies being at these things. So I was like, anyway, after the meeting, one of my, one of the rich business types in the church came up to me and he was in our training, and he said, I love what you said, but your expectations are not real. And I was like, what is wrong with you? The Holy Spirit needs to sort you out, dude. This, <laughs> seriously, that was my thinking, and this is what he said to me. You don't live all those rules that you've told us to. And I was like, well, 
Because my job is to travel. I lead NCMR. So I was leading a local church and traveling around the world. He said, you're not here every Sunday. I said, yeah, but, and I found myself saying, but I am doing the will of God for my life. And as I was about to say that, I realized, so is he. And this might offend some, but if we're going to have everyone jumping through the hoops, we require them to jump through. You're probably going to have unemployed losers who can't get a job. That's the only reason that they can make the meetings that we have. And I, I probably lost some of you online, not in this room. But it's seriously, it's like, it's not lowering our value system. It's not lowering our standards. I said to that guy, I want to be there when I'm in town, but when I'm not, I'm serving God. And he said, so am I. So I said, we had to change our philosophy of ministry to say, if we're going to have capacity in men and women that God wants to send to get on with this job, we're going to have to make it a value, not a law. And not, you have to be there, but if you're in town, you want to be there, you will be there. That's got to be good enough. And so I think it's those kind of things. If we're restricting guys and we expect them to come and submit to us, so it's a long jump in there, but I think a 35-year-old can handle a multi-billionaire in God's economy if they secure and they understand their roles not to be the boss and I'm your oversight. Just find freedom to guide them, lead them, let them run in their lane. You stay in your lane, but do this together for the king. It can work well, I think. While, while we're here, a question came through about, um, I guess, submission and, uh, I, guess, I guess, fathers and mothers in a church context. The question was, are fathers and mothers in a church context primarily elders or deacons? Or can people who aren't on leadership, father and mother people in the congregation? Um, and should they have a desire to do so? If not, why? And if so, how? <laughs> Any, anyone, I mean, you can jump into I mean, there might be, here's the thing, right? There might be some different stuff, but uh, obviously at the end of the day, Ty is going to rebuke all of us. So. <laughs> <laughs> nah, jokes. Nah, it'd be, it'd be cool to hear what, whatever, what anyone's thinking. Did you catch that? So, you know, yeah. Cool. I, I can answer that from my perspective. Look, in the early days when I came to Christ, I was, uh, I was like, Chris, I was a really interesting catch, you know, and I thank God... I thank God that I got born again in a, um, in a small Pentecostal church where my girlfriend and I, who became my wife, we inherited 20 aunties and uncles, fathers and mothers in the spirit. And, you know, yes, we loved the senior pastor and, and he was great and he discipled us, but he wasn't the only one discipling us. We, we, like, all of a sudden I had all these beautiful mothers and fathers that loved my girlfriend, loved me, you know, just didn't didn't invited us into their lounge rooms, you know, and fathered and mothered us, mothered us that way. I just think sometimes what happens is people get this thing, sometimes it's from the saints, where they go, well, unless the senior pastor is, you know, fathering me, you know, 24-7, yada, 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 and there's almost this unrealistic expectation to go, what, you and the 300 other people that are in the church, you know, it's like, you know, and sometimes, respectfully, as pastors, we make that rod for our own back, right? Where it's all got to be filtered through you um, from an insecurity perspective. 
But, I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if the church family was full of mothers and fathers? Wouldn't it be amazing? Like, lots of colours and shapes and sizes and, you know, like, come on, someone that loves you, even if their theology is a little bit off, but genuinely loves Jesus, you can get that foolishness out of you later. You know, at least you're loved. You know, at least you're loved. At least you're accepted that that space. So I, I absolutely agree that fathering and mothering shouldn't shouldn't just be a title or linked to just the elders can only do that. You know, there's there's layers, there's layers of that. You know. I wasn't expecting to come back in. That, did anyone else want to add or anything different or? to church or anything uh, and yeah I was that person that ate before they said grace when I got invited to someone's Whoa. house because oh. I didn't know <laughs> and yeah it's, I just want to encourage everyone it's that thing about everyone being involved in the body of Christ invite uh, unsaved people to your home invite newly saved people because you when I went to people's houses I literally drank in um, the relationships that you have when you're believers you don't understand how incredible it is. Every household's dysfunctional still, but it's the relationships, the beautiful um, way that believers relate with in their family context. Unbelievers, they do not know that. And they have a totally different existence in their home life for their whole life. They've never seen anything like it. And it's so powerful. So literally anyone can invite someone into their home and just help them to get to know Jesus better through their family life. Yeah, you know, just, uh, I mean, uh, 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 the concern when you talk language, father and mother, it's very concerning because it's, it's become a whole movement of everybody, I'm your father and I'm your mother. It's nonsense. It's not in Scripture. We should all have a heart to be a father and a mother, and we should be that to everyone. You don't have to carry a position. You just have to be a family, which is what the church is called to be. I've never had a visionary elder, lead elder, lead me that I've seen as my father. You might have that, not me. I've never seen a, I've never had a lead guy being my visionary, my spiritual father. So they, they were my pastor or my leader, but not my spiritual father. So that breaks this mindset that every elder is a father, has to be a father to someone in the church. Uh, even the, us as a team, just while I'm here, we don't believe that everyone on this, we, none of us on this translocal team that I lead are trying to be your father, all right? You can have a spiritual father that has nothing to do with NCMI, has, doesn't even know who we are. That's cool. We're not trying to be a father to you. We are gifts to the church for the church. And the danger with the fathering movement is we tell you, you're now my son, you're my daughter, you do what I want. And biblically, we get it so wrong. We start getting people to, to do things for us because we're their fathers when we're not, number one. And secondly, the Bible says that Fathers are to leave their children in inheritance. So if you, I'm going to be your father, I best be hooking you up <laughs> biblically. But we've got it back to front. And so I, 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 it's a great question. But yes, be fathers and mothers. But just, just on that also, First uh, Timothy 5, I think it is, talks about this. And this is what it says. Because the danger is if I, if, if I see a, someone as a father, then they automatically see me as a son. And that's a dangerous thing in ministry and in leadership. And so Paul says, treat older men like fathers 
and treat younger men like brothers. And I think the reason many are concerned about calling someone a father or even looking at them, because the moment you see them as a father, they automatically want to treat you like a son. Treat older men like fathers, younger men like son, uh, like brothers. <laughs> yeah. And then he says, and treat older women like mothers and treat younger women like sisters with absolute purity. And so just we could do way better if we could honor older people as mothers and fathers without them forcing us to be their sons and daughters. And we could lead. So how do you have a 35-year-old leading a multimillionaire who's older? Easy. He would treat them in a sense as a father, but they would treat him as a brother, not a son. Because a son can't lead a father, but a, son, a brother can lead a perceived father. Does that make sense? And if we could just do that, we'd see much more, I think, of this family atmosphere and younger people looking for perspective from older people without them being their fathers and mothers. And uh, it just liberates us. So, yeah, there's ways to go about it. But everybody be a mother and a father, but don't go mother and father, everyone. Um, and don't tell everyone you're a father. I mean, it's just, imagine if I walked up and said, I'm your father. Luke, I'm your father. I mean, it, it is so, I'm not that Luke, no. Luke, I am not your father. But, but seriously, I mean, sorry we're getting distracted here, but it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And I, I, I think this fathering movement has destroyed many, many people because it's control rather than it's to liberate people and help no control, no higher, no lower, just loving people to, to the call that God has for them. And so let's be, just be wise around the. I've had pastors come to me and say, oh, Tyron, would you be my father? I'm like, no, I'm not your father. I can't be. And then they would be like, well, would you father me? And I'm like, listen, I'd be glad to speak into your life from time to time. But my Bible tells me we all have access to a father in heaven, the father. I'm just thinking if we go to the Father, Jesus taught us to pray, our Father, get fathered by the Father rather than some leader who's going to tell you what you can and can't do. I think that's the wisdom. I don't, I don't want to stick on this. Uh, let's move forward. But one last question for you, just from the, the side of, I'm playing devil's advocate or other person's advocate. Um, for people that are, I guess, walking out those movements, some of them reference like the, the whole... Uh, Paul talking, ref- referring to Timothy as my son. Yeah. So what's your reference there? What's the, how would you uh, perceive that language? Well, I would perceive he was a, his father in the faith, but he, yeah. wasn't a, he, he wasn't a father to everyone. Although he said that, the, you know, we all quote that we have many teachers, but not enough fathers. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that everyone has to go and be their father. It means we need to move from being teachers to fathers with a heart. Cool. Uh, but Paul was clearly yeah. Timothy's father in the faith. But there was one person, and we built a theology that every person in my church has got to see me as their father. Everyone on my team, most of these guys are older than me. Imagine yeah. me telling them, you're all my sons. Yeah. Russ Doty, you're my son. He's so, I mean, it's nuts. I know you'd like to be, but you're not. So, so it's very relevant, and there definitely are. I've got sons of the, in the faith, but not every person who sees me as a leader must be forced to be a son or a daughter. It's let it be natural. I don't think 
Fathers don't choose their sons. In a sense, a son would know who their father is. Have to walk around and say, "I'm your father." Remember that. They're like, I don't even know who you are. Like, and and like my dad, my my real dad, my only, my, not my heavenly father, my physical father. Everywhere I go, people tell me, "Hey, your dad's a father to me," and I'm like, "Is that right? That's great." And then one day, I did ask my my dad, "Who are your sons?" Not not spiritual. I mean, not physical. I know who they are. Spiritual, and he gave me like three names. I'm like, geez, the whole world thinks that you're there. <laughs> a father should know who his sons are, and sons should know who their father is. But it's not everyone who sees someone as a father figure doesn't make you their father or your son. And so it's there by all means, but not every leader has to be seen as a father or mother. That's nuts. Um, coming back to Marketplace and... Uh, I guess, God using us in the marketplace and, and even dreams, the prophetic. Um, how can we distinguish? So let's say we receive a dream or we get a dream or we have a dream. How do we distinguish whether it's a God dream or a good dream? Yeah. Just in the good dream. Yeah. So it's so good. That's a great question. Um, I, uh, I'll, I'll do a quick three things uh, that help me discern the difference between an opportunity and an assignment. Maybe I'll answer it like that, right? Uh, an opportunity is just an opportunity. An assignment is an opportunity that has the breath of God on it, all right? So we want to know, how do I know if it's an assignment? Three things that I usually look for. The first thing is that when it's a God dream or a God assignment, uh, what rises in me after optimism is gone, because remember, I'm an entrepreneur, so I believe every opportunity is mine. After that wanes in my excitement, there's a residual of faith that sits deep in me that just I can't shake. I can't shake the dream. I can't shake this thought. I can't, I can't kill it, right, because it's in me now. It's like it's inside of me. The second thing that comes, I was talk, saying to this um, uh, with, uh, with Paul this morning, the second thing that comes is the shalom of God, right? Because what happens usually with an opportunity, I get really excited, man, we can do this. Uh, I don't even think about the money. I don't think about how much going to, you know, what, like the pain. It's just, but then once that wanes, I get anxious, right? If it's not a God assignment. But what happens when it's a God assignment, I don't get anxious. The shalom of God holds me. I just kind of know, no, this is right. How are you going to do it? I still don't know yet because I'm just in faith and shalom, right? And then I wait for the third thing. The third thing when I'm in faith and shalom is signals of favor, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying we don't have to work hard, but there are just providential signals of favor. I, I always think God's kind. You know, some people make God out, like if God's got this plan for you, like he's not going to just tease you in a corner. So you've got to be like going out of your mind. Is this God? Is this not? I mean, there's the wrestle. But, but I always think, you know, if I wanted my son to do something, imagine if I just if I just kept it really cryptic all the time. Like, is that kind? Like, you know, there's, there's a process, but faith, shalom, signals of favour, uh, once, as those are in manifestation, um, I, I just won't let go. You know, I just, I'll go after it. It doesn't matter what it's going to cost me, you know, time, whatever it is. It just, it's going to, it's going to happen. That's, that's how I did something. Yeah, that thing of lingering dreams, like, I, I forget most of my dreams. I mean, I dream about, you know, Australia winning the World Cup in cricket or something like that. But then God dreams are vivid and they, they linger and you can't, like Dave said, you can't shake them off. So, I, you know, 
years ago, I had this dream, a recurring, recurring dream about a, you know, a tsunami coming. And, the, and it was like the people were on the side of a mountain. And I just had this overwhelming feeling I've got to get higher up the mountain. Everyone thought they were high enough up the mountain to be safe from the tsunami. Yeah. But it was this, go higher up the mountain. So that we were scrambling up the mountain. And then when the wave came, it was bigger than anyone thought. And I felt God say, the revival coming, the tsunami coming is bigger than what you think. Yeah. People thought they were safe, but then all these structures and things got taken up by the wave and people were just carrying on business as usual. Mm. And I felt God say, you've got to prepare for the wave. Yeah. There's a wave coming that's big and you think that's just an example. But that dream has been a recurring dream um, over a period of years actually. But yeah. it, and it lingers and it's vivid to you when you yeah. wake up. Whereas other dreams, I just forget yeah. my wife gets a lot of dreams. God talks to her. In, in, in dreams, she gets dreams for people. I don't want to speak on her behalf. Maybe you want to say something. Dreams for people in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah so when I, usually when I have a dream, um, first thing I do is write it down. Because, you know, your day gets busy. I mean, obviously, often, um, like Dave was saying, you have that impression and it sort of stays with you. And sometimes for me, there's a, there's a sort of a wrestling, you know, like, and figuring out what is this dream saying, what's God saying. And sometimes that can take days, you know, for me to sort of spend that time with God and, you know, in the busyness of life, just draw aside and spend some time just journaling and writing down what I think he might be saying. And I'll often run it past Dave or some other people just to make sure, especially if I'm going to share it with someone else, I want to make sure, okay, am I hearing God? Is this for me? Is it for someone else? Is it for that person? Um, so I'm, I'm sort of like being submissive in terms of the dream. Um, and often, um, not always, but often I'll dream in colour if it's from God. Like I, you know, I think God is a God of creativity and he's, he's awesome. And I think sometimes some of the colours that I see, I can't even really explain the colour. Um, so I think, yeah, just those sort of things. Um, and, yeah, journaling's really, I think for me writing it down is really important because then you can also go back and look and see you know, over a period of time, maybe that dream's come to pass, you shared it with someone or something's happened, you know, for me personally, uh, you've got like a record of it. And Sam, she gets dreams and she'll go to someone in the marketplace and say, I had a dream for you last night. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible way God speaks. He speaks through yeah. dreams. And I, was, and I think two-thirds, yeah. is it one-third or two-thirds of the Bible is given through dreams. Yeah. And people think the new age owns dreams, but God, God wants to speak through Dreams, you know, oh. instead of Joseph, here comes that dreamer. Um, not daydreamer, but we were. Uh, I was coaching our prophetic company, and um, one of the things we did, we spent about six months learning the biblical language of dreams, right? Because the Bible's got lots to say about dreams and how to interpret them. And once you understand the language of dreams, um, it's interesting how prophetic dreams then increase. Uh, in, a, in a greater dimension of your life because once you understand the language then the dream like it's like once you understand how prophecy functions all of a sudden it's amazing how much more prophetic you become even if you're not a prophet right because now you understand the language and so Holy Spirit is going to speak to you in the language you understand right and um, I remember it was phenomenal because what we did we we took a month and in in this focus in the month what we what we said was I actually I said to them Let's go into our workplaces, into our business houses, and let's just ask um, our worker, like while you're having lunch or whatever, just go, hey, man, do you have any 
do you ever have a, like do you ever have any weird dreams or reoccurring dreams? Ninety percent of people go, yeah. Let me tell you, right? And they tell you the dream. And as they're telling you the dream, I said to them, I want you to pray and say, God, give me the interpretation, right? And all of a sudden, we came back and reported to each other. And over 90% of them said, you wouldn't believe the opportunity that we had to just, like, this person said, yeah, man, I have this reoccurring dream. I'm not sure why I can't shake it. And so the, the guy says to the person, well, maybe God's repeating himself because you haven't got it the first time. Tell me the dream. And once they, they interpreted the dream, which was amazing, it had to do with their family, the dream stopped, you know. Uh, so I think it's a powerful, it's a powerful tool and lots of, lots of great language to do that. I got to share with a Hindu woman from a cafe. She just shared a dream with me. And while she was sharing, God, God gave me the interpretation. I said, this is Jesus revealing himself to you, this, this, and this. And she ended up giving her life to Christ. It was a doorway in to, to sharing the gospel. Can I, I'm just a different, I'm not a dreamer, I, I'm, I have hair, I'm not a prophet, um, I really don't remember any dreams, it's awesome, so I guess vision, I'm still young, but no, I'm joking. I, not on the dream thing, just, I think just to answer some of that question, because I mean, there's a whole variety of people here, and just to be the devil, at, at, quoting you, the advocate... <laughs> I'm Tyrone, not the devil, the I'm an advocate. advocate, he's the devil. I'm not the devil, contrary to what many think, I am not. You know, I, 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 uh, I get the dreaming thing, I get the dreaming with God thing, I, I really do. I feel like we're called to walk in supernatural way more than the natural. I, I, I fully understand that. I also, the other side for my role and many of your roles, our decision making has ramifications for not just us, for many others. And so I've actually moved from, because a lot of guys say, oh, just like ask God for permission. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to ask God for direction. And I know people say, well, that's a bit kind of narrow. I'd rather be narrow knowing it's God than I'm going to try a few things and hope God permits it. And the reason being, friends, is honestly the ramifications for people around me. My decision-making impacts so many others. And if it's just my dream we're running with, my deal, I want to know with conviction, what I'm asking people to buy into is not a tyrant dream or an NCMI dream. This is God's. Because the only thing that gives value to what we're doing is knowing we don't lay down our vision for each other. I, I'm so over that leadership that says, hey, you lay down your vision for my vision. Nobody lays down any vision for any man or woman's vision. We all lay down our vision to take up God's vision. And then you know it's God. Then it's worth dying for. Then it's worth investing everything in. And people don't despise you because it's not your dream. It's His. And so I state that just to say those of us in any leadership position, and be wise that you're not just asking God for permission. I'm going to do this, God. Is that okay? How about, God, what would you have me do? Then you're going to hear what God wants rather than what you want and hope God backs it. And, and I think that if, if I can just be honest enough to say part of the problem with the church globally today is that many leaders have gone after, God, give me permission, we're going to do it. And look how it's crashed and burned rather than, God, give me direction. What's the next step? Where are we going? What you called us to?
it just, I'm not holding back on the dream stuff. I love that. But just be wise that you don't stand up. You know, people stand up and say, God told me this. And two weeks later, we're going in a totally different direction to what. Now, I want to just say, I know God can change his mind, but did you hear God? It's like people come to our meetings and churches and we're like playing tennis. We don't know what we're going to get next. It's like one side, the consistency and certainly hearing God. So I hope that just, again, just liberates us, but ask God what he wants rather than tell God what you want. And I honestly think we'll walk in way more of what God has and there'll be way more effectiveness because God's already in it, not we hope God is it. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's so many incredible questions. I'm trying to figure out where do we go from here. Um, do we go into the prophetic further, into the marketplace? Oh, um, <laughs> one, one of the questions that came through was what was a comment on Dave's socks? What's wrong with Dave's socks? Oh. <laughs> um, okay, let me, well, let me educate you. It's, it's, not, it's not 1980, uh, as much as Tyrone wants it to be. Uh, 2020, oh, there you go. I am wearing socks. They're called sockets, just so you know. You can pick them up at uh, JJ's. Very good, very good. <laughs> I did live in the Someone was asking uh, about the second session if that was Captain America preaching. <laughs> Captain America. <laughs> Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> Too good. Um, okay, I think we'll go here. Oh, okay, before, I, I want to I go back to like seeing church pivot from church focus into kingdom focus. I think it'd be cool to go down that direction. Before we jump into that, we don't have too much more time, but I'd just love to hear some maybe practical expressions of like maybe that you've seen of marketplace evangelism and kingdom in the marketplace even um maybe stuff that you've seen like examples i mean you were sharing about maybe having opportunities to give people you know uh, prophetic words via dreams um but i mean there's so many i know there's testimonies i've heard them but i think sometimes it helps us to hear like see what did it look like practically uh, evangelism, you know, in the kingdom, oh, sorry, in the marketplace, and sort of just kingdom culture within that marketplace. Any examples of that stuff? That's great. So you want some testimonies? Is that yeah. some examples? I, I mean, there's one, I think I've shared it here. Uh, I'll share it again, uh, only because it's brilliant. Um, uh, a young, young girl uh, living on Central Coast, part of our church uh, at that time, her name was her name is Bonnie Gray. You can look her up, Bonnie, B-O-N-N-I-E, Gray, G-R-A-Y. And um, anyway, long story short was uh, she had some options of some things that she was going to do with her life and she had this little niggle in her about art. She had this art thing inside of her. But she said to me, Dave, um, all the other things that she had options to do, which was to go to Bethel and become this worship leader... She said, I'm, I, I feel convicted because this art thing, I can't let go of it. And I, she says, I just don't want this secular art thing to get in the way of God's call in my life, which triggered me because I don't believe in secular, because uh, secular means God void. And I said to her, who told you that art is secular? Who told you that the devil owns beauty? Who, who told you that the devil owns design? Like, who, who do you think created design, you know? And... Um, Anyway, uh, I said it a lot nicer than that. Uh, 
And in the end, she decided to stick with the art thing. And the art thing for her is she's dyslexic. And uh, to get through high school, her father sent her these, to these big private schools and uh, she struggled in high school because of her dyslexia. So when the teacher was speaking, to, to make sense of the words, because they were all getting mumbled in her brain, she began to come up with her own language of hieroglyphics so that she would look at the symbol and remember the words. That's how she survived and was able to make it through high school. So she took this language that she created, think, you know, think of J.R. Tolkien. Right? Well, she, she, she created this hieroglyphics language and what she started to do, the, 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 the art hustle, was she would uh, interview some people and they would tell her a story and she would, on a notepad, put these hieroglyphics and then translate that onto a canvas. And that became the art, right? But when I said to her, who told you that this was secular because it wasn't, you know, most people think that Christian art is a dove or a fire or an eagle <laughs> or a lion, you know. Um, when she realised, actually, God, God can use this, uh, what she did was, as she was interviewing people and drawing the hieroglyphics, she'd also ask God for words of knowledge for these people. And without telling them the words of knowledge, she would write them on her pad that they would never see. Because the deal is, while she's interviewing, you never see the pad. You don't actually see the picture until it's unveiled. So what she would do is then go get the canvas and she would write all the words of knowledge on the canvas and then paint over it and then paint the hieroglyphics into the story. And what happened was at the reveals, all of a sudden all these people started having encounters as the arts revealed. They start having encounters and she's like, hey, what's going on? They're on the studio floor. And uh, she's like, I, I don't know, I told you, like this story was about, you know, this area of my life, but actually every time I look at that, I, I, I can't help but feel my, my father's, you know, the presence of my loving dad, you know, and she would know she was writing those things and many times was able to introduce those people to Christ, telling them actually this is what happened, this is what I got, this is in your painting. So that's a marketplace evangelism. <laughs> anyway, she's, um, she, uh, uh, four years, she went from that little unknown artist, big artist, Victoria, go on Instagram, Bonnie Gray, it'll freak you out what she does. Unbelievable. Yeah, just a lot of prophetic, like I feel the gifts of the Spirit are not just for church meetings, but for the streets, for the marketplace. And so the whole thing of prophetic in the marketplace, yeah, it could be through a, a painting, it could be through a sculpture, God speaking. Obviously, we need to vocalize the gospel, but I just find in the marketplace, um, I mean, I started a website and a social media platform. Um, it's just a vehicle. Um, God gave me the phrase, influence the influencers. I mean, that can be vague influence, but bring the kingdom. So I get, I mean, I'm not a huge hitter in business, but I get to go to the most extraordinary events in my city. Like it's, um, you know, talking to, literally talking to um, Hollywood producers, uh, top sporting stars, you know, in the, in the super box at the tennis with celebrities. And just you get these prophetic moments. Just remember Sam and I sharing the gospel with one of the biggest tech experts in the world on big screens. Um, and uh, just um, words of knowledge for businesses. Um, I mean, got a word of knowledge for one business. They ended up sacking a lot of executives because they found fraud. I said, there's fraud in your business. And they sacked a whole lot of executives because they uncovered a lot of fraud. In fact, that's happened twice. Um, and just God gives you, I got, a, I got a word of knowledge for someone in coding. 
and they developed uh, a world-class cybersecurity solution out of that, out of meditating on that word. And so you come in different ways and at different levels. We're also part of an agency with Clint Chambers, who's here, uh, Media Exchange, um, some of the guys from there are here. I want to just give honour to him because sometimes it's tough in the marketplace. You get hard, difficult clients and you need to be resilient like Daniel. The Bible says there was none like Daniel. And we, I mean, this whole marketplace isn't some romantic thing, just like the nations isn't some romantic thing. It's real. You get, you get clients shouting in your face. And, uh, and so, you know, at times you just need to be like Christ. You don't want to be just a pushover, but you need your character gets tested. Yeah. It's not just some romantic thing. Yeah, yeah. And and when they that, see that does sometimes happen at Monday staff meeting with pastors. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. But how we react can determine how the bridge that we can share the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. When they see how we react, so all these things come into it. But I think I feel like we can operate in the gifts we've been given in the marketplace. So maybe there's uh, Sam does this a lot. She she operates in word and knowledge. She had, just quickly, she had this, she was training. I don't know if you want to tell the story. You want me to tell the story? Ian. Sorry. This is like every day for Sam. She's. Um, just just preempting that, um, I just felt to share that I think, because we're from Melbourne. Um, Come on! Yeah. Yeah. Oh, pray for you. Please pray for us, yes. <laughs> No, I think um, the space I work in, so I work probably 95% of my week is working um, in the gym and, uh, and training in the gym. Um, but I train, I, that's my job. So um, a lot of people are, uh, after coming out of COVID and everything, they, are, they have got lots of questions. And I find it very easy to actually share the gospel because people are looking for answers. Like, I don't have the answers, but Jesus does. And um, I just think you just have to just prod a little bit and people just, they just open up. You just have to ask, you just have to ask the Holy Spirit for the right question for that person. And I think sometimes it just creates a little gap. You just, you just, you just ask a question and then they just, they just talk. Um, And... um, this incident at the gym, um, I was training a girl who had, um, she had all, all, all sorts of issues, like mental health issues, and I was feeling overwhelmed by, when I was training her, she would just share everything, and I'd go away thinking, oh God, I can't, I want to sort it all out, but I can't, you know, I'd just pray for her and ask for opportunities. Anyway, one day I was training her, and before I went in, I said to the Lord, I need something today because I feel like she's like on the brink. Like I feel like I need to bring a word that's going to bring deliverance or something to help her. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, ask her about Ian. And I'm like, oh, gosh, all right. <laughs> so I went in and we're training. I'm getting anxious. I'm thinking, oh, God, how am I going to share this? And anyway, we just started talking. It was her birthday coming up. And, and I said, oh, look, I know this is going to sound a bit odd, but do you know anyone called Ian? And she looked at me and she goes, how do you know Ian? And I said, oh, do you know someone called Ian? <laughs> she goes, yeah, she goes, that's my best friend. Like he has been like an amazing friend who's walked me through like some serious things in my life. He's always been there. He's like my rock in my life. And yeah, anyway, I said to her, I said, you know what? God loves you so much that he's placed a friend in your life that has walked you through the toughest times in your life. He just wants to show you through your friend how much he loves you. 
dinosaurs. And um, she just like, she was, she was actually speechless. Um, and so it went on just to, we, we were able to talk more about that and I was able to pray with her and yeah, it was, it was incredible. Like, so I just, I think um, we have the answer, like Jesus is the answer. And I think if you just ask the Holy Spirit for something for that person, he'll always give you something. Um, and it's just a matter of stepping out. I'm, I am quite sh- quite a shy person, but I have learnt that when you step into the things of God, a boldness comes on you that you, you know, it has to be God, you know. So I just think, just be who you are. God uses your personality. Um, step out when he gives you something and he will back you 100%. It's good. You know, just a testimony, I think... Um, like the individual responses, God's in the detail. Is he's, but he's also, you know, we're praying for doors to open in regions the gospel cannot go. We've got to be praying. And then you find yourself in positions and places. And I know we've been recorded and we live streaming. What's that going to There's a very restricted place in the world. Uh, and I was visiting there and I was preaching there. And there was, there was a bunch of leaders in the room and I just was preaching on the kingdom. Some of the stuff preached similar to last night, just about the kingdom. And, and, and after that, a man came to me and he said, I'm a businessman and I'm in this region and this region's pretty restricted. That's all I, you cannot preach the gospel beyond. And he said, and I've heard you today and I want to say this. He said, I need 500 civil engineers. And I have access to a place that no one can get a visa for. But because of my job, I'm building something for the king of that place. Well, I retract that word. It's not the king. <laughs> Someone. Jeez, I can't play this game. Turn it off, please. <laughs> I'm trying. Anyway, this is what he said. to He asked me, do you have within NCMI 500 civil engineers? I said, well, I don't know. We can try he said, actually, after what you've just preached, they don't even have to be civil engineers. If they believe us, bring them. I'll give them a visa. We'll get them in, and we can get the gospel preached in a nation and a region. It's like the Trojan horse. You, you know, like God's got his ways, and he's got people positioned in places. And when you act, activated with kingdom stuff, and Sonny reminded, it's not just a job. I'm here to open doors for this gospel to be advanced. There are people waiting, and so I, I just, those are testimonies of God-given inherit. These guys have money, but they have influence to reach people that are unreachable, but God has them there if we think kingdom. So those are the exciting things. So hopefully we think like that, right? Because if we're going to reach these unreached regions, if business people, marketplace people here that are invited to go to these regions... We cannot go there and preach the gospel, but you could go there and set up a business to help those people. And in that, we'll just leave it at that. God can do stuff where we can get in and advance the kingdom for the king. I'm not on that thing, but I just wanted to say um, that wherever God's placed you in your work, it's actually your kingdom assignment. So I think just... um, be who God wants you to be in that, in that space. Um, okay, let's, let's come to a close here. Maybe it would be cool to, 
Uh, good luck with this. But in 30 seconds or less, each of you, um, if we can hear from you what you reckon around strategies for helping the church pivot from being church-focused into being kingdom-focused, so impacting marketplace, community, and I guess, obviously, kingdom-focused, meaning Christ-centered, and I don't know, 30 seconds or less. Who wants to start? Should we go left to right, right to left? Who's left? Who's right? That's the question. Oh. Oh. Yeah, tell us, Leon. How's it, it going to happen? Read the Bible, pray every day, make sure that Jesus is... Nah, who wants to jump in on that? So from pivoting from church focus, the reality is at times we realize we've walked down this path of becoming church focused. Like we believe this thing in being kingdom focused, but it's sometimes like if we're not being by design, we've walked down this thing by default, we've started defaulting to what the world's doing, what the Western church is doing. And it's like, God's called us to be set apart. And this stuff is so refreshing. This kingdom uh, sort of, uh, reality that we're called to walk in, let's get there, but how can we pivot? We're talking about pivoting, how can we pivot? Can I, can I just say something before I forget it all? No, but um, no, I think we should equip people for the marketplace intentionally. Like we equip, like we're doing now, like this equip. We're equipping people for the 166 hours outside the church meetings. And, uh, and so intentional equipping for the marketplace. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, encouraging the saints to, to um, know that their sphere of influence is where God has them to impact that sphere of influence with the gospel. Yeah. Um, and then the testimonies we hear in church, give me some of my uh, bandwagon of some of my pet things, but often with testimonies in church, we should be hearing marketplace testimonies yeah. in church. Like this happened this week in this business. Like just, Sam just shared it at her work with training someone. Um, that's probably 20 seconds gone. Um, but then our messages... That's an hour, mate. You're done. And our messages, when we preach, let them have a marketplace application. That's good. 30 seconds or less. Let's keep going. I will. Um, I think being radically Holy Spirit-led, I think uh, we've received the Holy Spirit to go out and be witnesses. And I think when we're just um, in tune with the Holy Spirit and we get to know the Holy Spirit so well that um, and just giving Him access to all areas of our life, that when we go out, we will be witnesses and the kingdom will advance. So, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 taught us not how to preach, but how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and give, uh, lead us... Uh, and forgive us as we forgive those who sit against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If we took that prayer and prayed it as Jesus said, every single day, not as a ritual, but the meaning of those words, we will stay kingdom focused. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We would never have to keep pivoting to being kingdom. We would stay kingdom. I'm convinced Jesus gave us the way. We just got to do it. I would just say, um, people say, Dave, how can I bring Jesus to my workplace? And I usually say to them, have you ever asked Jesus what his vision is for your workplace? A lot of people know what the vision is respectfully for their church. But not many people know what God's vision is for their workplace. What's God's vision for your school? Like... And then go and partner with that. Like that's, I, I let, let God, yeah. So what is God's vision? 
for, for where you are in the marketplace? Like, what, what's God's vision? I, I kind of know what God's, I feel like I know what God's vision is for my area of consultancy in the marketplace. I kind of know. I, I know it's not Tony Robbins. <laughs> you know, um, um, you know, I just, I know that. Yes. I think um, prayer plays a big part too, like praying um, into, your, into where you're working. Um, I think that's a real key for me. Um, I think if you can bathe your workplace in prayer, like pray for the people you work for. I mean, you might be working with people that you struggle to get along with. That's life. And you just have to pray for them. Um, pray for those in authority. Pray for your leadership in your, in your workplace. Um, because they're making, they're making key decisions every day that affect you and other people. So I think for me, um, before I go to work, I spend a lot of time praying, praying in tongues. And then, yeah, being just just asking God for opportunities to step out and just be. Sometimes you just be his hands and feet, and other times he gives you words. And I think be just be in tune with the Holy Spirit throughout your day. I often speak to the Holy Spirit during the day and ask him, what are you saying? Do you have anything for this person? Do you want me to say anything? Um, yeah. That's great. That's awesome. Brilliant. Hey, why don't we thank the team? You guys are incredible.